it, it's more about building relationships with people um, and getting to know them uh, as a person, not just as a, as a business. And I, I think it's best to go in if you're going to a networking meeting. You know, don't go in with a feeling of um, what what can I sell, but how can I help people? Because nobody likes to be sold to, but everybody likes to be, likes to be helped. Starting or growing your business is hard work. But now you are listening to the Better Business Podcast with me, Steve Cook, and I'm going to try and make it a little easier on you. We on this podcast help you grow a better business with real advice from professionals, and today is no different. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Better Business Podcast. I am your host, Steve Cook, and on today's show, I have a very interesting episode for you. My guest name is Liz Drury, and she is a freelance voiceover artist that is based in the UK, and she works for clients around the globe. Some of the well-known brands that have used her voice include JCB, Booking.com, Nestle, Philips, and... BMW, as well as many others. She works across a number of voiceover genres, including commercials, corporate videos, e-learning, telephone, and audio tours. Liz has a broadcast quality home studio, which means she can turn projects around really fast, and her clients describe her as a joy to work with. Liz also hosts a podcast called the Small Business Big Network Podcast. Liz, Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. I've got one question to ask you that has been burning in my mind. And that <laughs> question is, how in the world do you find yourself getting into the business of being a voiceover artist? A lot of people ask me that question, I have to say. So the story kind of goes back to when I was a student. I was studying for a, a PhD in archaeological science um, at the University of Bradford in the UK. And part of my research was to look at these lumps of tar with human tooth impressions in that people had dubbed prehistoric chewing gum as, as a bit of a joke, really. And I did some analysis to find out what these things were made of. And I wrote an article uh, about them for um, a sort of popular magazine called British Archaeology. And I explored why these bits of tar had got tooth impressions in. Were people chewing it to soften it up in order to use it as a glue to stick an arrowhead onto a shaft? Were they chewing it to clean their teeth? Were they chewing it to get high from it? All these possibilities. And I can only imagine it must have been a very slow news week when this article came out because the press got hold of this story and it ran for about a fortnight. And I was in continual demand to do radio interviews. And the university had um, a little recording studio with an ISDN line, which meant it could connect to radio stations around the country. And I kept finding myself in this little booth um, talking to people at radio stations and thinking, wow, this is really good fun. I really enjoy being in front of a microphone. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. But um, I, I didn't go immediately into voiceover. Um, I worked at a local cable TV station for a while and did some voiceover work as part of my job there left there to have my kids, um, intending to go back. And while I was off, the business got sold. So there was no job to go back to. And I ended up doing something completely different. And then at the end of 2011, my husband, who's in the chemical industry, was asked to go and work in the States for a couple of years. So we moved out to uh, Baltimore in Maryland. 
and he was going to work and the kids were going to school. And so I was at a bit of a loose end. And I used the opportunity to train. And I trained in voiceover while we lived in the States uh, with a great company called Edge Studio, who are based largely in New York, but had a, a satellite studio in Washington, D.C., which is about 40 minutes from where we were living. Uh, so I did my training with them, made my first uh, professional demos with them and started my business while we were living in America and then brought it back home with me. So let me ask you this. The people that used you in the States, um, I can only imagine being a American and listening to you. Did they use you for a interesting voice or, or why, you know, I think it's a, the coolest accent, um, <laughs> to me, of course, over there, it's probably very, um, normal for people to hear. Um, but do, do people in the United States use you for a, a outsider's, you know, voice or something like that? Mm, yeah, I think so. Um, in fact, one of my my very early clients I still work for today, because of course with the internet now it doesn't really matter where, where you're based. Sure. And so he he's based in Maryland and has a home recording studio, and he does a lot of corporate videos, e-learning, health and safety, and he will sometimes get asked specifically for a British accent for his projects. Gotcha. Um, so you know, I, I did some work for him, and you know, my understanding is that the the Americans hear the British accent as being sophisticated and so if um you know if the client is looking for a sophisticated sound for their product or service they they might ask for a british accent <laughs> that's so crazy and and that's the way i view it too you know it's almost like oh they're they're smarter than me i don't know they have a british accent <laughs> so that's incredible um so as far as the business now how how do maybe you know not only you but how would someone get started in maybe not only voiceover but some sort of freelance work how how did you get started or how would someone get started in that work um it sounded like you kind of teamed up with a, another company to do that um is that looking back was that the best thing that you did or is there another avenue that you would maybe recommend now so I was really lucky when I when I started out. Um, so I had been studying at the the local community college. I'd done some acting courses and some singing courses, and then I saw a course advertised um, through my local Parks and Rec actually, uh, which is called Acting for the Camera. And I thought it'd be fun to get back in front of a camera again, and went along. And the tutor. Um, she she was a local actress and she did um, she'd done theatre she'd done film she'd done a bit of everything but including voiceover work and so she was sort of my first mentor really okay. and kind of pointed me in the right direction when I when I first got started um, and she told me about some uh, websites for freelance voiceover artists where you can have a profile and clients will post jobs online and you, you can audition for them and so that's kind of how I started but it's not really how I would recommend people get started anymore because these freelance uh, websites are now so saturated um, you know, this, this this was kind of eight years ago, and you know, and particularly since last year and the pandemic, so many more people have started, exactly um, right. you know, businesses like mine where they can work from home, and they, those platforms are really really difficult, I think, to get work on now. Um, and so the, the way I I like to try and get work is is to you know, try and create more of a personal relationship with the people that you want to work with, and there are two ways that I do do this. One is by E emailing you know, outreach through either email or LinkedIn to people that I would like to work with and you know, try and start a conversation not to sell them anything but to, to get to know them in the first place and you know, the sales comes sort of way down the line and and the other way is by business networking 
Um, you know, I, I've kind of always done that for my business from the start, really. And, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to be a particular view network locally is to get to know other people who are in your area. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily about working with them, but people in their network, because once you, they get to know you, like you, trust you, that's the point where they're going to then recommend you to people if they hear of somebody who, who wants your services. So, you know, I, I'm a big advocate of, of, of networking. So let me ask you this, Liz. If someone, um, let's say they, they want to start writing or they want to start a voiceover, they want to start something that is very popular on a... a, um, a business like uh, Upwork or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. Fiverr, um, would you recommend, why do you recommend starting your own versus just getting jobs through there? Is there a reason why you, why you recommend that? Yeah, a couple of reasons. I mean, often the online marketplaces don't pay particularly well. Um, certainly for voiceover, a lot of them pay you know, Fiverr. So it's certainly sort of well below the, the market, market value. Um, but also a lot of these these uh, platforms don't let you build a relationship with the end client because, of course, they don't want anyone to move off their platform. Yes. So um, they're, they're always there as the middleman and you, you don't have that opportunity to interact with your client. Um, which so you're just in this perpetual cycle of mm. having to get new customers over and over and exactly. over. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you and even if the client that you've worked for before wants to use you again, they've got to go back through the platform and find you all over again. Um, you know, I understand from a client's point of view, that can be quite difficult to do. Um, and so I think it's just much better if you can get rid of that <laughs> and go think, directly to your clients. Do you think people do that because it's, it's just easier to get yes. started doing that? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is easy, you know, to, to register on these marketplaces and to start auditioning for jobs. Um, it's much more difficult to reach out to people personally because I mean, you've got to do a bit of research and find out, um, you know, what, what they do. And um, yeah, that, that's that's right. So in, in a way, the marketplace, those online marketplaces have kind of done that for you. So it's full of people that want your service. But it's also full of hundreds of people doing the same thing as you, all trying to get that one job. Gotcha. Um, so you had mentioned, you know, a way to start this process of building this, you know, this business that you want to get started instead of going with a, a commodity, you know, traded <laughs> um, platform mm -hmm. or something like that. Build your own um, business, build your own brand. And what you had mentioned before is that you think that um, networking is a great way to do that. I think networking is just this um, kind of ah, word that a lot of people have <laughs> in their mind. At least it, yeah. it is for me at some points, um, because if you've ever been to like a networking event or a networking website, it's just everyone's trying to sell everything to everyone. What does obviously it's been you've had success with it because you had mentioned it. What does networking mean to you? Definitely not selling. Um, it, it's more about building relationships with people um, and getting to know them uh, as a person, not just as a, as a business. And I, I think it's best to go in if you're going to a networking meeting. You know, don't go in with a feeling of um, what what can I sell. 
but how can I help people? Because nobody likes to be sold to, sure. but everybody likes to be, likes to be helped. Um, and so, yeah, when you're having a conversation with somebody, you know, listen out for what, what they might need. And it might be not what you've got, but there might be somebody in your network you can put them in touch with. And uh, it's always great when you can do that. You, know, you meet somebody who, who needs something that one of your contacts can do, and you can put those two people together because then you've helped two people. And then those two people, kind of owe you a favor and so the next time yeah yeah, and next time they hear of somebody wanting your service guess who they're going to think of you're going to be front of mind because you've helped them out in the past and i think you know it's very much what goes around comes around when it comes to networking and like you said a lot of people think oh networking or do i really have to do that and i think you know it has had a bit of a bad reputation in the past but i think a lot of people are now waking up to the fact that going in with a a mindset of, of selling just never works but if you go in trying to help people, everybody likes that. You know, I think a, a lot of um, successful people, um, at least for me, and not saying I'm successful, but at least for me, my personality is if somebody helps me, um, you know, uh, line up a mutual person that is can become a client for me or helps me get somebody's number or helps me get somebody's email, at least for me, that makes me that they owe you one deal that you had you had talked about. <laughs> that makes that gives me like an anxious. I almost want to get them paid back as soon as that happens. I'm like, <laughs> I got to get this off. I don't like owing people um, favors or anything like that. So if somebody truly helps you um, and doesn't ask for anything in return, for me, it's like, man, I've got to get them fixed up on something, you know. Um, so that is a, a great point. I think that's something that a lot of people um, would find successful in doing that. Um, so let's say that somebody is starting out and they want to um, grow this brand. You've convinced them by saying, don't go through a, a platform like that. You know, start your own brand, start your own, you know, personal brand that you can start mm-hmm. building. And you've convinced them of that. But let's be honest, in, in a voiceover environment or say you're writing or something like that, those, a lot of times those are big businesses that you're needing to sell to. Um, these can be CEOs of, of large companies that you're needing to get approval from or something like that. Um, how let's take a step back from the networking. How do you even find these people? How do you, how do you know the right person to talk to? Let's say you're a writer and you need to, to talk to somebody at a large corporation. You don't even know who you need to talk to. How do you find those people? Do you know, I think we're really lucky these days because we have the internet, you know, we have Google, we have LinkedIn, and it's so much easier now than it would have been 20, 30 years ago to find out who those people are, because nine times out of 10, they're on they're on LinkedIn or uh, your Facebook or something. Um, so it just just requires a bit of research and, you know, going into LinkedIn and, and looking up. I don't know, you could search for people by their job title. If you know the job title of the person who's likely to hire you, stick that into LinkedIn and you know, you can do it. Um, you can set the parameters so that it's searching in your local area and it will bring up those those people with the right job title in the area. And you can then go look them up and connect with them. Um, or you might you might want, not want to do that straight away. You might want to follow them for a while and see what kind of things they post, comment on their posts and just make yourself visible to them and then perhaps connect with them and say, you know, I really like what you've been writing on LinkedIn and I'm so and so and I do this and, you know, just I'm looking to grow my network. Can I connect with you? Glad to know and, you. Um, yeah, yeah and, and, and most people will. I think it's always worthwhile 
um, you're sending a note when you connect with somebody, not just randomly connecting because then they're thinking, well, why, why, does, why is this person interested in me? <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Um, tell me about one of the, you know, you've, some of these people that you had put in your, your introduction, those they're pretty, some pretty heavy hitters. Um, what is, what is maybe one of the most, um, popular or exciting projects that you've ever gotten to to work on, um, that you've worked on and how did you get that job? So I've worked on all sorts of different things. And um, as, as you, you said at the beginning, for, for some big names, it's quite rare that I work you know, directly with the end client in those cases. There tends to be somebody in the middle, you know, a production company, let's say. Um, so I do try and connect with lots of production companies um, and training companies that might be producing e-learning courses for various uh, you know, big corporations. So that tends to be how those kind of jobs come about. But one of my favorite jobs that I've done, not for a big corporate at all. It's for um, a local farm park for, you know, for for children. And a couple of years ago, they were putting together their um, their, their kind of Christmas special, um, and they got in touch with me. and And the way the way that I met this person was. Uh, both of us were up for an award at um, a local business awards ceremony and we were sitting next to each other at the table and we got talking uh, and swapped information. So I knew that he was from the farm park and he knew that I was a voiceover artist. And um, yeah, he got in touch with me a few months later and said, we're getting ready for Christmas and we need somebody to be the voice of the train that takes the children to see Santa. <laughs> One of my favorite jobs ever and uh, came, came about through networking. <laughs> not a uh, not a flattering job physically, I guess, because uh, he was he was saying you needed to be a train, huh? but uh, <laughs> but it was uh, exciting for you anyways, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me, you, you had mentioned the production studio. Is that your target? What is your target client? What's what's a great client for you? Are production people are they they the main people you're reaching out to? Yeah, so there's a few few different um, kinds of businesses that are a, a good fit for me. So yes, video production companies because they might want voiceover for the the projects they're creating for their clients, um, but also telecoms companies because I do a lot of voicemail greetings and on hold messages for all kinds of businesses and the telecoms companies tend not to do that in-house when they're installing a phone system um, so that, you, that they can outsource that part of the work to me. Um, marketing agencies are sometimes looking for voiceover artists for their clients. Um, training providers who are creating online courses and would like professional narration, um, they, they are good for me. And then things like, um, I do, do some what's called voice of God announcing, which is that disembodied voice that you hear at maybe at the theater or at a conference, you know, telling you to take your seats or who's won the next award. There hasn't been too much of that over the last year, funnily enough. Sure. Um, so it's, so events companies might use, um, you know, might use me for that. And then finally, um small museums or art galleries that might be looking for audio tours um and maybe can't afford to go through a big company that would provide all the hardware you know you, you carry around with you because nowadays you can you can build something on the mobile phone app so people can download it themselves and so the museum or gallery can put that together <laughs> themselves um so you know I, i've done a few of those so uh yeah various different people are, are a good fit for me Let's say someone wants to hire you in America um, and they they're looking for someone with that that accent like you have. Mm -hmm. If it were me, do you 
do you play up your accent or do you change your um, voice any, or is it just, Hey, you get my natural voice and that's it in every, every single thing you do, or, or do people request different things uh, from you? So I tend not to do um, different accents as such. Um, That's a question I often get asked by people. Do you do lots of different accents? No, not really. Um, It tends to be these days, you know, if somebody wants an accent, then they want it to be genuine. And, you know, I see a lot of auditions coming through saying um, we want a British accent for this. Please, no Americans putting on a British accent. We can tell. Don't do it. Um, and, you know, and vice versa. They want an American Guilty. accent. No, 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 no Brits putting on the American accent. Yeah, they, they want they want the real thing. Um, but, you know, I, I do change my my tone, I suppose. So you're depending on um what what who the audience is of, of what it is on recorded recording um you know the client will say this this needs to be um really serious you know you're 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 um you're talking to doctors here who, who really know their stuff or it might be you're talking to children so you need to be a bit more upbeat and happy or you know can you sound like the girl next door so it's my my accent my voice but i will change the tone and usually you know clients will come up with some adjectives to describe how they want want that read to be Gotcha. That's really interesting. Um, let's say uh, for me, freelancing, it seems like that is one of the most common side jobs or side hustles, whatever you want to call Mm it. Um, let's say someone is freelancing right now, but they have a, what's called a day-to-day job or something like Mm -hmm. that. What would be your best, um, you know, pitch for them? Or would you encourage them to go in full time on their freelancing job? Um, do you, do you think that people should, should own their own business and go for it if they do enjoy their freelancing, if they're doing it as a side job? Or do you think that perhaps freelancing is a great side income and you should not do that? I think both things are valid. And, you know, I, I started doing uh, the voiceover on a part time basis. Well, that's not quite true. I started it in the States when I didn't have a job, but I was still building the business and it you know, it wasn't a full time career at that point. And were you staying home. at home with your, your kids at that time? Or is that what you had said? Yeah, they, they okay. were elementary school when we were in the, when we were in, in the States. And when, when we came home, I actually had a job to go back to, uh, which had been kept open for me. And I was working 15 hours a week for my employer. And the rest of the time I was building my business. So I was doing it on a, you know, on a part time basis. And it did get to the point where I was having to work late in the evening or early in the morning before I went to work to get everything done. So it was getting to the point where I was struggling to do both things. And actually at that time, my role at, at my employer was made redundant anyway. So the the decision was kind of made for me. But I, you know, I was glad to go and I thought, you know, this is actually the kick up the backside I need to go and do this full time and, and do it properly. So you know, the timing couldn't be more perfect, really. So I think, you know, it's, it's, everybody's situation is different. And, you know, you can certainly be a part-time voiceover artist or a full-time voiceover artist. But I think eventually, you know, if you are, if you're wanting to grow your business, you will get to a point where it's difficult to do both things. In your opinion, um, let's say somebody has this desire to um, do some sort of work that could be freelancing. Maybe it's voiceover, maybe it's writing, maybe it's, you know, um, odd jobs on the side, a virtual assistant or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're not even doing any of that on the side right now, but they do have aspirations of doing that. They find it interesting or fun. Um, in your opinion, 
do you think that someone should, you know, maybe save up a little bit of money and just jump full time into it? Or do you think the path that you took, for instance, um, building up that business kind of slowly over time was a great way to do it? What's your opinion? Yeah, I, th I think building it slowly was certainly the, the way, you know, um, the right way for, for me to go about it. Um, you know, I actually decided when, when we moved back to the UK, so I had a job to go back to, as I said, it'd been kept open for me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go back for a year and I, I know that I want to do do voiceover and I do want to do it full time eventually. So I will go back to my job for a year, make sure I've got a bit of, um, a, you know, um, a bit of cushion, a bit of, bit of money in the bank. And then I will have my notice in and I will go full time. And I didn't because I actually really enjoyed my job. And, um, you know, I was working at a college. I was getting to interact with the students and I really loved it. Um, and so I actually stayed for three years. And as I say, they eventually made my role redundant. Um, but you know, it was nice to have that guaranteed income every month because the freelance work could be, you know, could could be anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, you know, it's it's never guaranteed. Um, so it was nice to to know that I was going to have some money at the end of the month uh, from from my employer if I didn't earn much from from the voiceover work. Liz, what is something that let's take from that time um, that you started, you know, you jumped into this full time. What is something that you originally thought um, or had an opinion on that since that time and looking at yourself now, you have actually changed your mind on? So when I first started out, I thought that getting an agent would be the be all and end all. I thought, you know, when I get myself an agent, I will have made it in voiceover and I'll be getting work from my agent. It's just, that's just not the case. <laughs> so I, I I do have agents now and I don't get very much from them. Um, you know, they have a lot of other people on their books. And, you know, the, the thing is that an agent, of course, is not working just for you. They're working for everyone on their books, whereas you are working just for you. So um, you, you can't rely on work coming from an agency because you won't eat. <laughs> yeah. So you still you still have to go out there and market yourself and you know do the, the hustle and get the jobs in your in yourself. And you know, have, having an agent is very nice. It's kind of the, the cherry on top, I suppose, but it's not what I thought it was going to be. The I'm obsessed with uh, business kind of documentaries or, or stories of how businesses got started. And I love listening to uh, there's a podcast called How I Built This. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a very, oh, no. very popular podcast about it's just interviews uh, founders of typically pretty large companies. Mm. And I've been obsessed with um, those from from a long time ago. And one thing that I have noticed a very common theme in a lot of those is at some point they have this huge, you could call it a break, or they have this huge moment where they, they get asked to in the United States, the Oprah Winfrey show or, or whatever, <laughs> they, they get asked to, to be on the news and they think this is it, this is my moment. And, um, they have this happen and um, it's this huge opportunity and they're like, it's going to change. I'm going to have to hire a hundred employees after this or whatever it might be. And that happens. And it's not as big of a deal as they thought, you know, it, it, it does yeah. bump your business a little bit or whatever it might be. But I think that that is something that no matter how many times you hear it, I've been guilty of this. You know, it's like, after I, this happens, here I go, I'm on my way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people are, are suspect to that. Have you ever had any um, opportunities or, or things like that, that you've been asked to be on a, a certain show or anything like that, that you were like, this is my big moment? 
Well, yes, certainly the, the first time that I did a job for, for, for an agent and you know, I had to go down to London to do it and it was recorded in a very nice posh Soho studio. And I thought, great, now I've done this once, I'm going to get asked back to do it loads of times. No, <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> so tell me, tell me some practical advice. Now, of course, keep it, keep it maybe relative for people that are not professional voiceover artists. Mm-hmm. Um, what is some practical advice? I see your studio here. If you're not watching the video, you can, it, she has a incredible um, amount of uh, what you could call, uh, what do you call that? Eggshell, um, you know, yeah. soft, <laughs> soft, foam. Fo- soft foam. foam everywhere all surrounding her. <laughs> what are some common um, themes that you see people doing that you're like, man, please don't do this, um, that people could really... Um, improve the quality of their audio if they're recording, you know, small um, commercials or small things for their business or something like that? What's something they could do to improve their audio? Yeah, so I think a mistake that a lot of people make, um, they think, okay, I want to improve my audio, I'll, I'll go and buy an expensive microphone. There is no point having an expensive microphone unless you have an environment like I'm sitting in to record in, because the more expensive the microphone, the more background noise it's going to pick up. Um, so you know this, this this microphone here. If I just put that onto my desk um, and and try to record in in my in my office, it would sound appalling. Even it though it would I've spent almost be worse. Fortune. It sounds exactly. Like, yeah. Okay. Exactly. It it would. So. So that, that's that's a mistake that people make. So you, you don't need to spend masses of, uh, of money on a microphone unless you're going down the audio route like myself. You know, you want, want to be a voiceover artist. But you, you do need to try and make your environment um, as quiet as it can be. Um, and you want to um, record in a room where there aren't too many hard surfaces. So something like a bedroom would be ideal because you've got um, you've got the curtains or drapes, as you guys say, um, and you've got the bedding and you've got maybe carpet and you've got cushions and all that will help to absorb the sound. The worst places recording are like kitchens and bathrooms where there's lots of hard surfaces because the sound is going to bounce off those hard surfaces and it's just going to sound really echoey um, in, in the recording. And a, a way that you can um, kind of dampen the sound even more is to build what's known in the industry as a pillow fort. So you can um, you can set up a load of pillows or cushions around your microphone um, and then kind of speak at it. Um, and, and that will help sort of deaden the sound as well. And that will sound much better than, than having it just in the middle of the room and, 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 and talking into it. So if you see my next few videos coming from like the floor of my closet like this, uh, you'll you'll know exactly why I'm doing that now. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this, Liz, if, if somebody, this is kind of the final question that I like to ask everybody. And typically it's something that we've, we've talked about through the episode or, or whatever it might be, but let's say you had to take a step back and boil everything down to one piece of device for somebody that is maybe they've already started a business and they're feeling kind of stuck or plateau plateaued um, or maybe they are just starting out a business and you had to give them one piece of advice to better their business what would that be i think it's to remember that um it doesn't matter how great your product or service is nobody's going to buy from you unless they know about you and you've got to be prepared to put yourself out there and do your own marketing because no one else is going to do that for you um and yeah whether you're using um 
whether you're using social media or you're using business networking or you're doing cold email outreach or you probably need to be doing all of those things. You know, I certainly do all of those things. You've got to be consistent with it. You've got to keep it up because, um, you know, the minute you get a job, you might take your eye off them after the marketing ball. And once you've done that job, you haven't got anything else coming in. So you've always got to keep going with that, that marketing game. And uh, yeah, if people don't know about you, they're not going to buy from you. Do you think why a lot of people don't reach out and don't um, do those cold things is from a fear of um, looking silly? Yeah, fear, fear of rejection. And I think I think we all have that. I mean, I, I'm not a great fan of cold calling. Uh, I don't like to be cold called myself. So why would anybody want me to cold call them? But cold emailing, I think, is uh, you know a much sort of gentler approach. And I think it's it's a useful something very useful to remember is that people are, will often not respond to the first email. So it's no good sending one and thinking, oh, I didn't get a reply. They didn't like me. Because how many emails do we get a day? And, you know, this happens to me. Something will come in. I'll think, oh, that's interesting. I'll go back and respond to that later. 40 more emails come in and I've forgotten about it. If that person doesn't come back to me and say, oh, did you get my email? And I think, oh, yeah, I meant to respond to that. So that happens with my emails that I'm sending out as well. Um, and so, you know, I, I use a system where I will send an initial email, but I will always set several follow-ups to go you know, a month after, maybe a month after that. Um, and it's surprising how many people do come back to you sort of three, four, even five emails down the line and say, thanks for being persistent. We are interested. We've just been really busy. And yes, we'd like to either use you or add you to our database or, you know, please just keep in touch. That's incredible advice. Um, Liz, thank you so much for being on. If you are, um, if you do like what Liz is saying and you are interested in more of what she's doing, again, she has the Small Business Big Network podcast and uh, she will be able to be found there or anywhere online. She has her own website and um, has quite a bit of stuff on that. Liz, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Better Business Podcast with me, your host, Steve Cook. You know, starting or growing a business is hard work, so I hope that today's advice made it just a little bit easier for you. We'll be sharing more about this exact topic all this week on my social platforms. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, or if you would like to get a, a personalized blog post from me on this topic, you can join my email list and I will send you an email once a week. You can check the show notes to subscribe to that or find me on my website, whatever's easier for you. Now get out there and go grow a better business with this advice from today's Real Pros. Thank you for listening.